Well, good morning, Promise Church. We're glad that you're here with us this morning. And uh, this morning, we're going to jump into a, a new sermon series. And we're, we're now in the Easter season. And so we're going to take a look through the Gospel of Mark uh, as, as our Easter series. And uh, as we go through this book, uh, I, I've always liked the book of Mark. Mark is a, a very concise writer. He, uh, I, I, I like... I like him because that's what I do too. I'm, I'm a concise writer. I don't like to waste words, and neither does Mark. And uh, he, he jumps right in. It's a, it's a very fast, very action-oriented book. And uh, I, I kind of got in trouble for some of, this kinds of, some of these kinds of things as well. Uh, when I was in Bible college, I always had assignments that were, uh, that were due, that had, that had word count requirements. And, and that always bothered me. Uh, there were a number of times where I had I was supposed to submit a paper that was between 2,000 and two and a half thousand words, and I would submit a paper that was eh, 1,500 words if I was lucky. And uh, some some of my professors didn't mind. Some of them were would say, "Hey, you know, your it was a little short, but your content was good. So you know, here's your mark." And some professors were real sticklers, and they'd say, "Oh, you know, your content was good, but you were you know 500 words short, so I have to dock marks." Um, it balanced out, you know. Uh, I still graduated, so uh, so I'm glad for that. But Mark is the same way. He just jumps right in, doesn't waste words, doesn't uh, doesn't spend a whole lot of time uh, building up anything, or, or just he just says, you know what? Here it is. This is the point. This is who Jesus is. Let's get to it. Uh, so we're gonna jump in this morning. But but before I do, I just want to mention uh, a lot of what's coming out in in this series. A lot of what we're gonna be talking about. Uh, is influenced by uh, by this book right here. It's Jesus the King. Uh, it's written by Tim Keller, uh, who's a pastor in New York City. Uh, very influential writer, and uh, a lot of what we're talking about uh, in this series is uh, is influ- is influenced by this book. So we want to just mention that right up front. Uh, give credit where credit is due, and uh, and go from there. So this morning we're going to jump right in, uh, jump right into the book of Mark. Mark chapter 1, starting right at verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance, for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. So, like I said, Mark doesn't waste any time here. He just jumps right in and he says, jumps right in with the claim that Jesus is not only the Messiah, 
He's the son of God himself. And this is a very deliberate claim. Uh, so he's jumping in. He's saying right away, this is who Jesus is. Pay attention because this is the story of who Jesus is, what he's done. And so we see this story where, where Jesus is, is baptized. And it was a symbol. Baptism was a symbol of repentance. It was this exterior cleansing that, that symbolized the purification and symbolized repentance from sin. Uh, it was to prepare for the coming Messiah. So even in the temple, we see uh, the, the ruins of the temple. We can actually find baptismal pools where people would go in uh, for purification rituals before they entered the temple. So this was a thing that was already established. And, and Jesus comes to John to be baptized. Now, why, does, why, why is this story included? We, we look at this and we go, why does Jesus need to be baptized? And it's, it's about identification. So who's present here? What's, what's happening? When, when John baptizes Jesus, we see three parties present, other than John, I guess. Uh, we see God the Father, speaking with his voice. We see God the Son, the Word incarnate, and we see God the Spirit coming in the form of a dove. Now, this is a very important point here. Uh, it's something that we, we kind of take for granted that uh, in a lot of church imagery, we see the Spirit represented as a dove. But at this point in history, when Mark is writing this gospel, uh, the only other time that the Spirit is referenced uh, in the same uh, in the same idea as the dove, we see uh, it's actually in Genesis, and specifically in the Aramaic translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. And where we see that is when God is creating the earth, the Spirit is hovering over the surface of the waters like a dove. And so Mark is he's taking this very intentional approach, and he's saying. The God who was present at the very beginning, the God who created all of this, is the same God that's present right now. It, we see in, in the creation story, we see God the Father creating the world, speaking with his voice. We see the Son of God, we see the Word, and we see the Spirit in the form of a dove. And we see this all again, we see this happen again in Jesus' baptism. And so, before the world existed, there are these three parties and the three of them are, are constantly pouring love and glory into one another. None of them seeking to be the center of attention. Uh, every single one of them was, existed to glorify the others. And, and C.S. Lewis, he, uh, he wrote about this and, and he says, In Christianity, God is not a static thing, but a dynamic, pulsating activity, a life, almost a kind of drama. Almost, if you will not think me irreverent, a dance. Now, for for Keller, or sorry, for for Lewis, this would be, uh, you know, he he says if you wouldn't think me irreverent, just because of uh, at that time, the time that he was writing this, dancing was not exactly uh, something that the church was too happy about. But uh, we see this dance, we see this activity of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all moving around each other, always seeking to glorify the others. And so 
we see this. We see God always striving to, to glorify the other parts of the Trinity. And they're always seeking each other's glory, always seeking each other's happiness and, and benefit. And so we see God who is infinitely happy, already infinitely loved within the three parts of the Trinity. And so when we see God creating the earth, when we, when we see back, to, back in Genesis where, where Mark is intentionally tying us to, we see that God, when he creates the earth, he's not doing so because he needs us to love him or to glorify him because he's already got all of that. He already has perfect, infinite love, perfect, infinite happiness. He's creating a world in which he can pour more of that into us. And so he's inviting us. He's inviting us to be part of that dance, to center our lives around him, to, to move around him and to be part of this infinite dance of love and happiness and perfection. Now, when you live a self-centered life, you remain static and you demand that everything revolves around you. Now, we, this is the opposite of, of what we see the Trinity doing. They're always moving, always seeking to step out of the spotlight and shine it on the others. And so uh, I recently had the opportunity to see uh, the, the musical Hamilton. And one of the things that for me, just even from a, a production standpoint was, was really cool was in the stage, right in the middle of the stage, there's uh, a, a circular ring um, and outside of that, there, there's another ring. And those two rings are able to, parts of the floor that move independently of each other. So one ring can be spinning one way, one ring can be spinning the other way. So the whole stage itself is actually moving as the show goes on. And so when you've already got this very intense uh, choreography, now not only are the actors moving and dancing around each other, the floor is moving underneath of them. And so it, get, it was this really cool uh, way that the actors were constantly moving and shifting. And it reminded me of uh, this activity of the Trinity where they're always moving, always revolving around each other. Uh, and in the show, the, the spotlight never stayed on one person for very long. It was always shifting, always moving to, uh, to whoever was in focus at that moment. And once that moment was done, they would step out and somebody else would be in the spotlight. And so it was this... Uh, this really beautiful picture of what this is, uh, what this is all about. So when God creates the world, he's, he's looking for another place to give love. He's already receiving perfect, infinite love, and, and he creates us to invite us into the dance. Uh, and Tim Keller says this uh, in Jesus the King. He says, you mu he must have created us to invite us into the dance, to say, if you glorify me, if you center your entire life on me, if you find me beautiful for who I am in myself, then you will step into the dance, which is what you are made for. You are made not just to believe in me or to be spiritual in some general way, not just to pray and get a bit of inspiration when times are tough. You are made to center everything in your life on me, to think of everything in terms of your relationship to me, to serve me unconditionally, that's where you'll find your joy. That's what the dance is about. But the reality that we live in is that Satan tries to pull us away from that dance. He does it 
to Adam and Eve in, in the garden. And he tries to do it to Jesus. Now, Mark doesn't give us the details of, of Jesus' temptation. So uh, right after this passage that, that we read this morning, right after Jesus is baptized, uh, in Mark's gospel, the next thing is the temptation of Jesus. And he doesn't give us a, a ton of details. It's just, you know, two verses long. Uh, but Matthew does. And one of the things that, uh, that we see recorded in the gospel of Matthew is that one of the things that Satan tries to do to get Jesus to step, uh, to step out of the dance is he says, look at all of these kingdoms. They will all worship you if you would allow it. And, and Jesus resists the temptation. He's, he, doesn't, he doesn't take the bait. He doesn't say, you know, yes, you all need to worship me. Uh, he, he knows his place in the dance and he, he refuses the temptation. But we face the same kinds of temptation day after day in, in subtle ways. We hear these temptations where it says, you know, you should be the king. You should be the queen. You should be the center of the dance. You deserve the best of the best. And it's, it's the same trap that Adam and Eve fell into. And it's the same trap that humanity's been falling into ever since. Like I said, when you live a self-centered life, you remain static and, and you demand that everything else revolves around you. The Trinity, like I said, is always moving, always seeking to step out of the spotlight and shine it onto others. And, and it's this difference that, that, that we live in. Um, when we live in self-centeredness, it, it leaves us miserable. How many stories have you heard of people who, by all accounts, had it all? They had the money, they had the power, they had the fame, but they were still miserable. That there was no joy in their lives. They still felt empty. They had made themselves the center of the dance. And we're going to talk more about this in the coming weeks. Uh, how Jesus comes to invite us into the dance, to bring us into his kingdom. And, and all of this, we, we talk about, you know, the gospel of Mark, the gospel of Matthew. And, and this word gospel means good news. And the good news is this. Jesus came to make a way for us to return, for us to be part of the dance, to, for us to follow the king. And he does it through the cross. And, and as we go into this Easter season, as we, uh, as we go into the next couple of weeks where we focus on that story of, of when Jesus died for us and, and what he did to make the way possible for us, as we go into those weeks, we're going to keep coming back to this idea and this morning, we were, uh, things did not quite go according to plan. Uh, we, had, uh, we had planned to have a baptism service, service this morning, but uh, that was before there was a global epidemic. So, you know, we uh, decided to, to cancel that. Uh, but we're gonna, we are going to do that when, uh, when we are able to return to normal, when we're able to uh, meet in public again. And, uh, and we're really looking forward to that. And... The good news about that is that uh, if you were on the fence about baptism, if you were, uh, if you were still considering it and, and you know, wondering, should I do this? Uh, is it the right time? Now you still have the opportunity. Um, if you'd like to be baptized, please let us know. Uh, send us a message on Slack or, or email us and say, hey, this is, this is something I'm interested in. It's not too late for, 
for each of us to be able to, to get involved in this baptism service that we're going to have. So why do, we, why do we do baptism? Well, just like Jesus, for us, it's a symbol of our identity. So Jesus used, in, in Mark, uh, he uses Jesus' baptism to, to point out this is who Jesus is. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Messiah. He's using this story to point to Jesus' identity. And, and for us, it's the same thing. When we are baptized, it, it points to our identity, who we are in Christ. As we go under the surface of the water and, and then are raised up out of it, it symbolizes for us Christ's death and resurrection. And, and it's an act for us where we say, I am choosing to die to myself. I am choosing to step out of the center of, of my own life. I am choosing to make God the center of my life and, and to move around him, not the other way around, not for me to say, I'm going to do things my own way, or I'm going to live with, uh, with this idea of God that, you know, every once in a while he helps me out, but that to make God the center of your life. We die to ourselves. We die to our self-centeredness and we're raised into new life, new identification with God where we choose to take ourselves out of the center. And we willingly submit ourselves to the God who created the universe. It's an act of trust to, to allow him to reorient our lives around him. And uh, Paige Patterson writes this, in its simplest form, baptism is a public identification with Jesus the Christ. As such, it pictures the death of Jesus for the sins of the world, his subsequent burial, and his triumphant resurrection. There is also a reenactment of the believer's death to sin, the burial of the old man, and a resurrection to walk in newness of life with Christ. And so, if you haven't ever taken the step of being baptized, we encourage you this morning, consider it. Take that step. Step into uh, a new life with Christ. Step into the dance that God is inviting us into. As, as Mark uses Jesus' baptism as a symbol of his identity, so you can use your baptism as a symbol of your identity, of who you are in Christ. It's a symbol of your new life and the new way that you are living in, according to, in accordance with what God is asking of us. And he's asking us this question. Do you want to rejoin the dance? Let's pray. Jesus, this morning we are so thankful for the life that you have invited us into. For the dance that you are extending your hand saying, come, join me. Join us in this dance. When Jesus comes up out of the water God says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And God, you are inviting us into that dance, saying the exact same thing to us. This is my son. This is my daughter with whom I am pleased. God, we are, are so thankful for the opportunity that we have to join with you in this dance. To, to say, I am choosing to orient my life around you. 
to take myself out of the spotlight so I can shine it back onto the things that you have done. And God, for, for people who are considering baptism this morning, I pray that as people think about this, as people consider this, that they would know that as they choose to identify themselves with you, as they choose to take a step and to publicly declare, this is who I am, this is my new identity, God, that you would remove any fear, that you would remove any obstacles uh, to people coming in and saying, this is what I want to do. And God, as we identify ourselves with you, as we reorient our lives around you, God, help us, give us the strength to, to resist the temptation when it, when it comes, to, to make ourselves the center of our universe again. And God, for those of us who maybe are, are feeling that this morning, maybe they're feeling the temptation, or maybe they're feeling guilt about times that they have made themselves the center of the dance, God, we ask your forgiveness and we ask your grace that as we step into the dance once more, God, we are welcomed back in and we are so thankful for that. So God, we, we bless you, we honor you, and we give you all the praise this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.